Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. Well, welcome to the show. I don't need to tell you it's cold out. It's going to be cold out for the next couple of days. Probably the most important thing that you can do is not only take care of yourself, but take care of your animals, specifically your dogs, your cats. Bring them inside. Uh, I just saw an, um, an announcement from the Bridgeport Animal Control that in Connecticut, dogs are not allowed to be, no animal is allowed to be outside more than 15 minutes in weather like this that we're going to be experiencing. And they are going to ticket people. The Fine can be up to $1,000. They are going to be looking around to see if you've got untethered dogs outside, if it's normally your habit to let your dog sort of be outside and you think your dog enjoys the cold weather. That may be true in general. It isn't true today. It isn't true tomorrow. So bring your pets inside for their safety. 203-333-9422 is our number. We have an unbelievable show for you today. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to be summarizing this week in Connecticut We might be changing the name. I may be calling it Lisa Wexler's Weekly Wrap-Up. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter what I call it. You know what it is. By Friday, you and I have been experiencing, reporting, talking to each other about the news stories of the week. So on Friday morning, I basically catch you up on the news you may have missed in headline format with some audio clips from some of the guests that we've had around uh, on the show along the week. We have two unbelievable women coming on today that are brave. They, they went out and they experienced life in a way that they didn't think they were going to do as a result of different reasons. Uh, we have a former federal judge coming on at 1030 today. Her name is Karen V. Johnson. And after her son died of a heroin overdose at the age of 27, which completely and totally rocked, shocked, and destroyed her world, destroyed her mental world. She couldn't do what she did every day anymore. And she went on a journey that ended up becoming a spiritual journey in which um, she has a different view of grief, a different view of the purpose and meaning of life, and a different view of her own capabilities and gifts. And it's a little book 
Uh, it's called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. There's a lot to it. I think if you're a Buddhist or somebody who appreciates the Eastern traditions of suffering and loss and philosophy, you'll really want to tune into this. The book was published by Hay House, which is known for publishing works like this. And she was a brilliant woman. She was a former Fulbright scholar. I mean, all kind of extraordinary accomplishments in our world, a former U.S. Army officer. I mean, there isn't anything this woman couldn't do. And instead, what she has chosen to do um, is embrace her spiritual aspect and use her gifts to help others now, but in a very different way. So we'll be talking about living and grieving with Karen Johnson at 1030. I really look forward to that conversation. At 1115, we're going to chat with a new author. She's written for magazines for many, many years, but she just wrote her first book, My What If Year. Her name is Alicia Fernandez Miranda, and she... She has a very, also another brilliant person, a Harvard grad, the whole thing, but she decided, still a mom of young kids, married, happily so, that she wanted to do things in life that were on her own personal bucket list, that she was too busy achieving and accomplishing, accomplishing to even think about doing. And so she does internships, and she does some unpaid jobs, and she has fun. And then she circles back and writes a book about it, and it's a charming, funny, funny book. She's a very gifted author of Gifted Voice. So we'll chat with her at 11.15, and the book's already won some awards. And then at 11.30 this morning, we go to The Kindness of Strangers. So it's going to be a packed show. It's going to be a packed show, 203-333-9422, but you're part of it. You're always part of it. Uh, You can pick up and call me here on the phone I'm sitting right here, right in our community. This is live radio. And talk to me and react in real time to what you're hearing. And as it's ruminating through your brain, what you think we all need to hear that you have to say, that you have to contribute. Because that's the beauty of talk radio. 203-333-9422. And of course, if you miss any part of the show, we will put it on a podcast later on and you'll be able to find it wherever it is that you download your podcasts which could be iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher. And if there's a place I haven't mentioned that you listen to a podcast, send me an email and we'll make sure we put it up there at lisa.lisawexler.com. We'll be right back for This Week in Connecticut. Stay tuned. It's time to take a trip with Lisa around the Nutmeg State. Here's what happened this week in Connecticut. The Lisa Wexler Show, WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. And welcome back to the show today. So listen, I take full responsibility for the fact that these are the stories that I think are very important for you to know this week in Connecticut. We're going to wrap it up. It's February 3rd. And no, we don't have Puxatawney Phil here in Connecticut. Instead, we have, who is a groundhog, we have Beardsley Bart, the prairie dog. But whatever it is we have, it doesn't look like it's going to be a lot more winter. It's a little cold for a few days, but where is the snow? And in fact, the stats have just come out today that it is the warmest January on record period end in the Northeast forever and ever since we've been keeping records of that with a whopping New York City averaging a 43 degrees. Normally, it's 33 degrees in January. This week in Connecticut was mostly about new bills proposed in Hartford. New policies proposed by Governor Lamont. We're at the beginning of what is called the long session of the two-year term of our legislature. The bills are starting to make their way through the committees. 
And if they come out of committee, which means they've received a positive vote from a majority of the people on the committee, then the bills will see the light of day again on the floor of the General Assembly, sometimes, most of the time. When we think about how the sausage is made, in the immortal words of Lin-Manuel Miranda playing Alexander Hamilton, now is the time that that sausage is being put together. So with that said, this week in Connecticut, here are some notable bills I wanted you to know about. Senator Martin Looney, Democrat of New Haven and the majority leader, proposed a bill to punish motorcyclers who don't wear a helmet by having the law automatically assume that all of those motorcyclists want to donate their organs in case they crash and die. The bill is garnering a lot of attention for its outrageous premise. I would imagine it will most likely die in committee, but one never knows, and we'll keep an eye on it on the Lisa Wexler Show. State Representative Lucy Dathan, Democrat of Darien, proposed a bill to ban certain usage of pesticides known as neonics on lawns and ornamental landscaping. In other words, they're called cosmetic uses. Also wants to ban the use of neonic-coated seeds. Neonics frequently show up in state water testing, including recently, for example, in approximately 30% of Long Island Sound's groundwater samples. In Norwalk, there is concern in the oyster industry. Declines they are seeing in marine larvae over the last 20 years may be linked to pesticides, and specifically this neonic use. And we know from recent core samples done in Darien at Pear Tree Point Beach that there are large concentrations of pesticides in the coastal sediment, so large, in fact, that the planned dredging in Darien had to be postponed because the dredge itself was too toxic to be easily disposed of. Wine in supermarkets, a high-stakes battle has come to a head. Yesterday, Thursday, between Connecticut supermarkets and package stores in the state capital's most, quote, contentious public hearing so far this year, with lots of buses of people getting off the buses to have their word and have their point of view expressed. In a battle over wine and profits, the supermarkets have been putting on a, quote, full-court press in their stores and on the Internet to allow wine to be sold in grocery stores for the very first time here in Connecticut. But the state's 1,250 independent package stores are fighting back against the proposal. They are saying that some stores could go out of business because wine is their most profitable product. The package stores are portraying the clash as a David versus Goliath battle, as they are battling against major players like Stop and Shop, which is a gigantic Dutch corporation with more than 60,000 employees. Various industry groups and their leaders testified before legislators who heard testimony from the general public in a hearing that lasted six hours. Based on legislative deadlines, a committee vote is expected by March 21st for the proposal to move forward. Governor Lamont unleashed a slew of policies and proposals this week. On Wednesday, the governor announced the creation of a new free website to connect Connecticut manufacturers with suppliers, keeping business here in the state. It is called Connex, C-O-N-N-E-X, and you can find it on the ct.gov portal. Yesterday, the governor announced he was prepared to spend $20 million to give to not-for-profits to help negotiate cheaper medical bills for thousands of Connecticut residents. Governor Lamont claims that these nonprofits have successfully reduced prices for drugs and medical procedures for thousands of people they represent. And looking into the details of it, it appears that these nonprofits collectively have saved billions of dollars for individual homeowners because... Personal bankruptcies are largely caused in America because of an inability to pay health bills. This is something, if this goes through, that will not require you as an individual homeowner to apply to get a reduction in your own medical bill. Rather, because of this 
apparently huge representation on the part of many people who can't afford to pay their bills, your own medical bill will decline substantially. In a move engendering some controversy, Governor Lamont also supported millions of dollars in support for school districts to increase security on school campuses. Some, like Senator Gary Winfield, believe that increased school security is accompanied by too much police involvement in the activity of teenagers in school, leading sometimes to criminal charges being brought against students unnecessarily. This week in Connecticut, the tragic story of Tyree Nichols of Memphis, Tennessee, caused many local police departments to issue statements of condemnation of the actions of those police officers in Tennessee. Wayne Winston, an activist in our community who is with us on the show every Wednesday, told us how he felt when he first heard the news, and many callers on the show as well shared their frustration and anguish. Here's a clip from our show on Wednesday. This is clear abuse of power. Yes. And we, we have to stay focused on the big picture. So there's a lot of uh, things being done for police reform, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Tell me where uh, I the breathing Act. Where 10, Andrew. So many things, but they're being met with a lot of uh, resistance. The Bill of Rights tells us what we can get, but what about what we as United States citizens should be asked to give? Joining us on the show this week was Richard Haas, the longtime chair of the Council on Foreign Relations, which might be one of the most influential think tanks in the world. And he wrote a book uh, and created something called A Bill of Obligations, his list of what we can and must do for our country. It's worth a listen. And I believe, for example, that it's important to multi-source your, your information, not just go to one cable station uh, or one radio station. I think it's important to go to several or read just one uh, paper, much less depend upon this or that chat group or you know, group in, in, in Facebook. That's social media. That's not a place to go for serious information 99% of the time. So we need, we need critical consumers of information in order for Americans to be informed. Then, once they're informed, my view is they will more naturally become involved. Bed Bath & Beyond announced the closing of many stores around the country and many here in Connecticut as well. You'll have to check to see whether or not your particular favorite Bed Bath & Beyond will be closing. But the company is expected to file for bankruptcy soon, so it's time to get those sheets and towels right now. This week we learned that 32 students in Holland invented a car that captures carbon dioxide through its vents, holds the carbon dioxide in a special filter that can be recycled, and then emits oxygen from its tailpipe. This extraordinary innovation is not only carbon neutral, it's carbon negative. The car was showcased in July of 2022 and sits in The Hague. Our only question, if this technology exists, why are we taking so long to implement it in actual cars in the United States? The mind reels. But part of what we cover on the Lisa Wexer Show every single week, at least maybe every single day, is innovation. We close with yet another instance of intimate partner violence ending in death, and it's a very sad note. This week, on Tuesday, Tracy Marie Jones, a 52-year-old mother of three who lived in Bethel, was killed in a murder-suicide at her Reservoir Street home in that town. Her estranged husband, 58-year-old Lester Jones, against whom she had applied for a restraining order just two weeks prior and had received one, died by suicide, according to the state office of the chief medical examiner. They were both killed with a gun. At the time of her death, Tracy Marie Jones, a 1989 Henry Abbott Tech high school graduate, 
worked at Bethel Healthcare and the Cascades Assisted Living as a hairstylist and a colorist at the Brittany Shears Salon in Bethel. Amanda Kovach described her friend as an energetic, compassionate, and strong-willed person and an extremely talented hairdresser. In a January 17th application that Ms. Jones filed for an ex parte restraining order, she reported being verbally and emotionally abused by her husband, who she said often screamed in her face and threatened her life. She said that one of her husband's fantasies involved shooting her to death, and she lived in constant fear. One week before the murder-suicide that occurred on Tuesday, Lester Jones was arrested by New York State Police on first-degree criminal contempt and second-degree harassment charges after threatening to kill his wife in a harassing phone call to her Bethel home. But guess what? He obviously was not kept in any jail. New York State Police said Lester Jones had been living outside Saratoga in upstate New York, and the incident violated the woman's court order against him. He was issued a ticket and scheduled to appear in court on January 25th. Despite the fact that Lester Jones was subjected to a judicial restraining order at the time of the crime, he nevertheless showed up at Tracy Marie Jones's Reservoir Street home Tuesday night and reportedly killed her. We are going to be doing a series starting on Monday on intimate partner violence. I encourage you to listen to every single aspect of this, including interviews with local police forces and officers to find out how it is that they feel that their protocol tells them that they are supposed to respond when they hear of or know of a temporary restraining order in their community. That's my take on This Week in Connecticut, in Connecticut courtesy of yours truly. Please listen to our podcast by clicking on lisawexler.com. Feel free to send me an email anytime at lisa at lisawexler.com. I want to hear from you. We'll be right back. Where Norwalk comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. So in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by our guest today, whose name is Karen V. Johnson, who's a former federal judge, and she has quite a story to tell us. But I wanted to let you know that we got some interesting, well, not as interesting, I think it's very encouraging breaking news this morning. Did you see that the numbers are in and we gained 517,000 jobs in this country in January, which was hugely more exciting and many more people employed than the prognosticators prognosticated. And, you know, it's really interesting when these numbers go up because some people believe or they read economists who say that too much employment isn't good because it heats up inflation and, you know, it revs up the economy in a way that hurts other people. But I actually don't believe that. I actually think it's always good news when more people are employed because employment, employment by its very nature leads to stability, leads to lack of deprivation, leads to lack of desperation. It's always an encouraging, healthy sign in an economy. 203-333-9422. Joining us right now, this is an extraordinary story and it's quite a beautiful book, is a woman, Karen V. Johnson, who um, is brilliant and went to Georgetown Law and did all these amazing things, or Georgetown University, was a Rhodes Scholar, became a lifetime appointee federal judge, which is no small feat in and of itself, was a member of the military, and had the most tragic thing happen to one that one can have happen, which is the loss of a child. And in this case, the loss of a 27-year-old son named Ben to a heroin overdose, which, which just shattered her world. And we can relate to that. 
Uh, but then what Karen decided to do afterwards and the journey that she took spiritually and physically and metaphysically is really a fascinating one. And she's written a book about it called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Judge Johnson, your honor. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Would you prefer that I address you as Karen, or would you still prefer the uh, the, uh, oh, no, the your Karen, honor? Please, that's another lifetime. You know, I feel like I've had many incarnations in this lifetime, and so I'm no longer that. Okay. All right. Well. All right, Karen. So, um, I'm going to begin with your book itself, and on page okay. uh, and on page 31, there's a quote that. I want to tell you I found familiar, and I'll tell you why in a moment. It's called okay. pain, is, pain is Inevitable, Suffering is Optional, Unknown, Unknown Author, and No Mud, No Lotus, and I can't pronounce the author's name. I can't pronounce I'm going to butcher it. It's like Thich Nat Han. I can't pronounce it. Trick Nat Han. Trick Nat Okay, thank you. When I speak Vietnamese or Thai, I'll understand yeah, yeah. it better. Yeah. So anyway, and the reason I know the second one, Karen, is because I am obsessed with K-drama, okay? Obsessed with Korean drama. Mm-hmm. And No Mud, No Lotus was a, almost its own chapter of a brilliant recent K-drama called The Alchemy of Souls. Wow. Right? And you're, you're using the word alchemy in your book. Tell, yeah. us a little bit, tell us a little bit about what that quote means, Mud and Lotus. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, um, right, so if you think about it, you've got this really dirty pond that's muddy, not very pretty, but out of that mud comes this beautiful flower that we recognize as a symbol of spiritual life, and so that is a metaphor. As we are lost in the mud and the darkness, um, then we have this opportunity to become a lotus to transform. And that transformative experience is so important. And it's one of the practices in my book is called indigenous alchemy. So what does that mean? An innate desire for transformation. We all have that. Mm. And as we stay stuck in our grief, despair, loss, hopelessness, it really manifests that energy uh, can make us sick. So we really, we really are hardwired for transformation. I'm really okay, so Karen, there's so I'm I'm dying to really chat with you. Can you tell I'm I'm ahead of myself here? First of all, how how do we pronounce shaman or shaman? How is the word S H A M A N pronounced? Shaman. Shaman, thank you. Mm -hmm. And what and what is a shaman? So a shaman uh, in traditional societies, there have been shamans all over the world. And the word itself comes from um the Eastern uh, Europe, but, and it just covers these people who actually, those of us who work um, on the energy body and who do things like journeying to the past and journeying to the future to help people heal themselves so that it's represented by that symbol E equals MC squared energy and matter. So shamans walk on the equal sign. We're always going between the worlds of energy and matter to to find answers to people's 
pain and hopelessness. You became a shaman, but later in your book, it is said to you that you've always been one, but didn't recognize that. So Karen Johnson, how do you go from the world that is so, and, and you put it here so brilliantly and beautifully in your book, so full of people who are victims blaming others for their plight, and I love what you wrote yeah. about that because it's so true. Um, it is so true. And, and I live in that very rational world right now as an attorney. And how do you go from that to the leap that takes you into another dimension? Tell us your wow. story. Sure. So for me, it was death. Death is a doorway for many people. Some people come to their spiritual practices with ease and grace. Some of us need something like a big illness or death or loss for us to be um, kicked into our spiritual path. And so that's what happened to me with this death of my 27-year-old son from a heroin overdose. So losing him opened a doorway that I wouldn't have been able to see before because he came to me. I could see him, feel him hovering around me and still do. Um, And that introduced me to the concept that there really is life after death. And if before his passing, I would have told you, live is alive, dead is dead, that's all there is. <laughs> um, and I didn't really believe in much more, and I didn't have much of a spiritual path. And I would have said, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe this was the universe, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, its way of saying, okay, here's the evidence you asked for. So yeah. so that's what happened with me. And I, I was out of town. I was in South Korea, and I got the call from a detective, you know, the call you never want to get. And it took me 24 hours to get home, which was just crazy. And What were you doing in South Korea? Another place on my bucket list, incidentally, because of my obsession yeah, with K-drama. Yeah, I love South Korea. I yeah. lived there when I was in the military, and really? my daughter taught English there. Uh-huh. I lived there for two years. And so this was a, it was a trip with a friend that had never been in South Korea. And so I wanted to show them around. And I thought, you know, when I get back, I want to have some tough conversations with Ben, because even though he wasn't an addict, um, he was definitely struggling as many young men are, what to do with himself. He had a business. It it didn't work out well. Should he go to college? He had put off going to college because he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so, I knew that he was sad and struggling and uh, upset about the business. I just never, and I knew I wanted to have a big talk with him about life and what's he going to do going forward. But while I was gone, this happened. He, they went to a party, they got drunk, and they decided they were going to try heroin. Oh and my. he was six foot eight, big guy. They gave him too much, and he just died instantly. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we always think our kids are safe. We've got them past those tough teenage uh, years. And 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 I think now that I think now that people, that was his destiny. It was his time to go. And my destiny was to learn how to live without him and to create a new life out of the ashes of the old one of mine and in a way that honors him. And so that's why I wrote the book, and that's why I, teach and that's why I do all the things I do have classes on on grieving and loss and and things because my mission is to help people if I can touch one person who is struggling and stuck in their grief and loss that's what that's what I'm here to do 
So, Karen Johnson, were you were you married at the time? Was this a grief that you shared with the father of Ben? No, we were divorced. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did did that make it feel more alone to you? Um. Oh gosh, it's hard to say. You know, it's all those complications of dealing with another person mm. that it's it's hard to say, especially when you're not getting along. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, it it might not it might have been more difficult. Okay. So we're chatting with Karen Johnson, 203-333-9422, if you want to participate a little bit in this. Um, And um, I want to just read a little bit from your book. You wrote, I was a slave to the fears, desires, and expectations of success at any price for 30 years. I would have been one of those who walked by Joshua Bell. I love that story. Tell us the story of Joshua Bell. Oh, yeah, Joshua Bell, famous violinist, right? He Tickets are $200 a person, you know, very famous, very well-known. So as an experiment, the Washington Post had him come to the Metro in downtown D.C., dressed more like a homeless person. He's got this gazillion-dollar violin that he's playing, and he played for, I forget how many minutes, 45 minutes, and I think um, only a few people stopped. I think he got $11 in his bucket. And people mostly just rush past him, busy, busy, busy on their way to work. I can't stop. I can't listen. I got to go. I got to get to work, those sorts of things. And so I probably would have been one of those, too. I would have noticed it and said, hmm, well, you know, I just don't have time for that. I have to get to work. I am one of these important people that are fluttering around here. So sometimes it takes something really big to break through your own ego. Yeah, isn't that the isn't that true? Don't you see it that Karen true. Johnson as ego being the biggest block to progress for people? I think so. Yeah, and you know, it's not it's, there's a Alexander de Bouton. I have some information from him. He's he's a great psychosocial uh writer and he he said, you know, it's really not that we are so greedy, but it's it's not that but it's that we get these rewards that come with success, love and um, respect and so many different things, all the intangibles. And so we really want those intangibles. It's not so much that we're so greedy and egotistical, but we really, we want those intangibles. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. There's nothing wrong with wanting those intangibles in life, right? No, there's nothing wrong with it except when it becomes all-consuming, when you can't see your way out of anything but more, 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 higher, 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 and maybe at the price of a spiritual path or maybe at the price of practicing beauty in your life. I know I went from my garage to the garage downtown for 30 years. People always say, oh, your skin is so fantastic. Well, that's because... I was like a hothouse flower. I went from garage to garage to inside to inside for 30 years. And I was one of those people that would have said, I don't take vacations. I am too busy. Mm. I blah, 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 blah. Right. So, um, and I was busy and I, you know, but when you get into it to the point that you're missing out on life, that you're not spending the time with your children and your spouse and just being home and just being with yourself and finding things that make you happy that's when it gets out of control. And so when Ben passed, suddenly it was like I was thrown out of the matrix, so to speak. I I woke up and looked around and said, what am I doing? I hate this. I'm driving in the second worst traffic in 
the United States twice a day from anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. I'm working all day long. My weekends are busy, busy trying to catch up with things, and half the time I'm working on the weekend. And my office is piled to the ceiling with briefs and boxes and papers. And what am I doing? And I'm surrounded by people that are doing the same thing and can't see their way out and not doing anything differently. It's a big decision so, that you made to quit the federal judgeship. Big decision. Yeah. It's huge. How old were you when you did it? How much more of your working life did you have ahead of you? Well, I was 62. Okay, so you're young. So I could yeah, retire. very young. Yeah, that's young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, how long so, had you been a judge, Karen? How long had you been a judge? I had been a judge since um, 9-11 was 2001, right? So 2001 to 2017, so 16 years, something long like time. that. That's a long time mm-hmm. to be a judge. And what kind of judging did you do? I know it's administrative, but were you doing immigration? What were you doing? Energy. 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 So gas, electric. Uh, it was very interesting. It was very science-oriented. It was a big switch for me. I had done disability work before that and years and years and years in criminal law. Okay. And I just burned out on criminal law. I just sure. couldn't take any more. It was yeah. hard. It's hard. Uh, the yeah. horror of it is just terrible. So. I just decided I was going to switch over to something different, entirely different. Don't you think it's sort of a pun of the universe that you were in energy law as a judge and then now you're in energy work as a human? I know. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of funny, right? It is funny. It is funny. Now, what is chapter three says, West practices of the medicine wheel. What is the medicine wheel? What is that? Yeah, the medicine wheel. So it's in um, all over the world. It's like a circle. And it's the circle. It's an energetic circle that we go around and around. And we've learned different things in each part of the medicine wheel. And so the, the, the medicine wheel that I practice with is Indian. And it begins in the south direction. In North America, it mostly begins in the east direction. And that's because of the cosmology. So the southern cross is in the south direction. So... Um, and it's, there's archetypal energies at each part, so south, west, north, and east are the four main parts of the medicine wheel. And, and they symbolize different ways of healing. And so in the south direction, the archetypal energy is a serpent. So serpent, shedding its skin. We want to be like serpents, shedding its skin. And all our old stories. Right, we get so caught up in our stories. This happened, that happened, this person did this to me, that person did that to me. My mother, my father, my sister, my brother, ah, you know, story, story, story. So it's breaking free of those old stories so that we can walk in beauty on the earth. And so in the, the West direction yeah, Oh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm very what do you but the medicine wheel is that I, I'm not really understanding what that is. Is that like a um a spiritual guide of some kind? Is it a, a physical yeah. wheel? What what is it? What what is it? It is a it's a metaphor for the circle, great circle of life. Okay. So you find these circles everywhere and it's a circle of how we can transform our lives energetically by walking this path. I walking see. the spiritual path. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, Karen Johnson, that really gripped me in your book, and the book is called Living Grieving, is a story about uh, a psychic healing. I, I might be mispronouncing that incorrectly, but it's an experience that you underwent that 
afterwards you had some bleeding and you had some bodily functions that were different. And what was that? What was that? Okay. Yeah, that was when I, w- I went to see um, John and God in Brazil. And so this is, what, who you was know, the Casa. Yeah. Tell me about this. Who was John of God yeah. in Brazil? Okay. John of God. Okay. So he's a, a very well-known um, spiritual practitioner that embodies different doctors and healing energies. And so there was a whole big compound. Uh, even Oprah went. So, I mean, it was very, Sounds very cultish famous. to me, Karen Johnson. Doesn't it sound a little culty to you? A little, a little scary um, there? No, not culty because no people don't stay and get trained and indoctrinated. This is something where people kind of come and go through and then oh, okay. leave, right? So okay. it's not that okay. people come and live and stay, right? Okay, okay. And okay. so, yeah, so people come and visit and, and things like that. And, and then, unfortunately, as with many, uh, we're finding with many of our spiritual leaders, so there's the light and the dark, and his dark side came out, and he's been accused of, multiple rapes including his own children and so he's there it is that's what i mean by the cult thing you know it was interesting i don't know anything about him i hadn't googled him i just read your book yeah but i had like red flags about him when even when you were writing about him but oh so i'm not surprised but tell me about what you experienced let's hear so it's not the beauty the beauty of it is it's not all dependent on John of God being there. Mm-hmm. There's entities and energies in that place. It's a very spiritual place that people have come for years and years. And um, so my experience there was um, you line up and you go in to, to see him, you know, to, and he tells, says basically what sort of spiritual intervention would be good. So you tell them what things you're concerned about. <clears throat> and, and then he recommends something, crystal beds or, um, just a variety of things, praying, whatever he recommended for, for you to help on your healing path. And there were several things at the, the CASA that you could you could do. And so, um, and then you go and you sit in a room, sort of a waiting room, and you meditate ahead of time. And then he comes in, and um, <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, there's so much that goes on there. It's hard to explain it in, in one sitting. It's You go in, you sit, and then really you're being cleansed and purified by different entities and energies as you're sitting waiting. And then he comes in and he brings down this healing entity or energy. And there's several that he worked with. And then they would, you'd walk up and, and, and he would say, this is what she needs. That's what she needs, whatever, and, and go on and, and take care of that. But um, it, it, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. And then um, you go back to your room and for, 24 hours, you stay in your room and you don't watch TV and you don't read. You just kind of stay quiet and and your food is brought to you. And then I had a vision. One night I, I woke up and, and I saw this spirit standing by my bed. And as with Ben, once I saw him, I was awakened and open to seeing entities and energies. And, and I said, well, who are you? And I'm, he said, I'm Dr something don't want to Dios or something. I can't remember what he said. And, um, and he said, and I said, what are you doing? And all of a sudden something really hurt in my lower abdomen. And he's like, well, I'm taking out this that you don't need. I'm taking this out. And so, um, he did something happened and then energetically and I went back to sleep. And then the next day I woke up and I was sort of bleeding vaginally. And so whatever it is he took out, 
I don't know what it was, but something definitely happened. Something and happened to you. it was a psychic you. surgery. Mm-hmm. A psychic surgery. That's what you called it. A psychic surgery. Mm-hmm. I never it's heard of psych- anything like that before. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's not uncommon. There have been many people that do psychic surgeries um, over time, but um, certainly John Agata is a very famous one, and he's done many. We're chatting with Karen Johnson. Karen, can you stay with us? We're going to be right back. The book is called Living sure. Grieving. 203-333-9422 if you'd like to give us a call. We'll be right back. Streaming online, on your phone, and on your smart speaker. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Karen V. Johnson. The book is called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Karen talking about her journey from uh, being a federal judge to somebody who is now a shaman and the story of how she got from place to place is what we're talking about right now. We were just talking earlier about psychic surgery. Karen, you have to know that a lot of people listening to the show right now are scratching their heads and saying, this sounds very cultish, very weird, and a little scary. What do you have Mm -hmm. to say? What do you have to say about that? Because it it is a little bit fear inducing to think about some spirit coming in and doing something to your body and then you bleed. That's sort of scary to me. Yeah, I can understand that totally. And I might have been, I think, before I embarked on this journey, I I left my job. um, I retired. I sold all my household goods, my house, my cars, everything, and went on a a two-and-a-half-year journey around the world, looking into spiritual practices in Africa and uh, India, Bangladesh, Chile, Brazil. So by the time I got to John of God, I was pretty... Um, open to experiences with spiritual beings. And remember, I began to see Ben after he passed over, and I began to see other spirits that had also passed over. And so seeing spirits, to me, was more commonplace than it is to most people. Most people, and and I said the same thing, I mean, when my parents died, I thought, I don't want to see any spirits. I don't Mm. want them to come. No, no, no. I know that sounds scary and terrifying, but I think over time, it just became with the introduction through Ben and that doorway being opened through death where I could see spirits and interact with them. It, it wasn't, it wasn't shocking for me. Can you conjure them? Can you ask Ben to appear for you or does he only appear when he wants to? Oh no, we work together. I mean, he helps me trans. I do a lot of work with transitioning souls that are stuck in between worlds um, after they've passed and working with families that are when someone is dying and helping someone to cross over. So he does come. Um, sometimes he's like a 27 year old though. He'll say, mom, quit ringing my doorbell here. I'm busy. Mm. I'm doing things over here. I'm in a, you know, I'm last time he said, I'm in the Jesus pod. And this is very cool. So you're fine. You're fine. You don't need me. <laughs> so, do you, do yeah. you, do you, are you a lot less afraid of your own death now because these spirits are familiar to you, Karen? Yes. I think many of us are really, the reason we kind of isolate and um, compartmentalize those who are uh, bereaved and we push them to get over it and move on and not talk about it. It's because really we're afraid of our own mortality. We're afraid of death and My experience is we never really die. 
we our energy just transforms and we go on to the other side. Whatever you might think it be, however you want to talk about it, the Tibetans talk about it one way, Christians talk about it another way, um, Islam talks about it a different way, because scholars study and they entrain together and they explore the world beyond death. And so um, as they work together and, and entrain together and study together, they came up with a map. And there are many maps for life after death, and many people who have had near-death experiences that talk about their experiences after death. So death is a transition, not an ending. And is it a transition, in your view, to an afterworld where you stay there, whatever forever means, or do you believe in reincarnation as well? Me personally, I think that, yes, I think that there, we can be reincarnated if we wish to do that again. Um, I think there's places we can go where we don't have to be reincarnated. Even in the Buddhist realm, it's Amitabha Buddha is um, in Master of the Realm of Sukhavati. It's a place where people go, souls go, that aren't quite ready for nirvana, but don't want to be part of the great wheel of uh, reincarnation again. And so, you know, that's a personal belief, but heaven, um, if, are people going to be stuck in purgatory or can they go to heaven? So there's many religions that talk about places in between. And what about responsibility to the extent we have any for the sins we commit on this earth? What do you think about that? I think that we create hell on earth for ourselves. I don't think there's hell. I think we've created it all around us with the way we live our lives. And so when our soul leaves, we have this opportunity to look at all these ways that we've lived our life and how we might have done it all better. But what if we've inflicted pain on other people? Do we have any kind of spiritual uh, baggage with that? Do we have debts that have to be paid like Brian Weiss talks about? What do you think about that? I think that there are maybe debts. I think there are debts that have to be paid, but maybe not in the way we think about it. So in the Indian cosmology, we talk about different realms that souls might rest in while they're healing, like a stone world. The stone world is kind of dark and heavy, not much there. That can be a place where souls have to go to recover, to sort of penance, if you will, until they're ready to go up to another level. Um, so there's the plant kingdom, there's the animal kingdom, and then there's the realm of the ancestors where we get to be with all our ancestors who are crossed over. So I think that there's places of healing, and I think there's places of where we stay and um, atonement. But I've never come across hell. I think hell is what we make here on Earth. We're chatting with... Karen Johnson. The book is called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And it's toward the end of the book where you say, I floundered around trying to find someone to blame so I could abandon my personal responsibility for the life I created. I wanted to be a victim. I felt like a victim. How had this Mm. happened to me, to my family? I felt ashamed and disgraced and singled out. I was angry and I wanted revenge. I blamed everyone and everything around me, the police for not stopping the drugs, the dealer for selling the drugs, 
Ben's friends for not watching out for him, his father for not being around enough, and the list went on and on. I blamed myself, Mm -hmm. too. I looked back at every decision I had ever made and wondered what would have happened if I had chosen the other fork in the road. And then you say, I can tell you that those obsessive thoughts led to madness. So Mm -hmm. essentially, with the minute that we have left Karen Johnson, your spiritual journey, which I imagine is still a journey, right? We're still on this journey. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. what, is, what is it that you wish to tell us that you have recognized in your wisdom about grief? That, <clears throat> that grief is a journey. And we're all on this journey. It's not something that has a timeline or a deadline. Time for you to move on. Time to go. You're on your own personal journey. And it is a personal journey and a process of becoming unstuck from your grief and, and, and the addictive nature of grief to a process of um, creating a new life out of the ashes of the old. And that's my book. That's really, there's 16 practices and ways that you can start to move that energy so that, so that you're not just stuck in your suffering and ruminating about these old stories and shame, blame, guilt, where we star as the protagonist like we had control over everything, and we didn't, mm. and we and don't. we didn't, and we don't. And how can people reach you, Karen Johnson, if they want you know, to know more of you and to maybe consult with you and get help from you? How would they find you? Sure. KarenJohnson.net. You can find me on my website, and you can uh, contact me through there. And I have um, sessions, shamanic sessions, and I also have cra- classes on grief and loss, and, and I'm in the middle of one right now that um, – we work in community and on Zoom and work through all the practices in the book to help help people heal. Karen Johnson, thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I wish you beautiful, beautiful everything on your journey. I do. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Living Grieving. I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 